0: You are listening to the Open Web Application Security Project with your host, Jim Manico. You are listening to the Open Web Application Security Project. We have with us today, Yanis, and this is OWASP podcast number 98.
1: Thank you for having me. My name is Yanis Pavlosoglu. and I've been fortunate enough to uh, come through the ranks of penetration testing within the information security industry in, in London. Before that, I did my PhD in information security at the University of Warwick, focusing on designing mobile ad hoc networking protocols. And before that, I did my undergraduate studies within the topic of computer systems engineering. So, uh, really born-bred information security, a number of years as a pro- professional penetration tester, and currently working for a large financial institution uh, dealing with all matters of risk.
0: Well, Giannis, I apologize. All this time I've been calling you Giannis. From now on, I'm going to call you doctor from now on. My, my apologies.
1: <laughs> That's fine, Jim. <laughs> Don't you start. <laughs>
0: So, Giannis, I see you've done a lot of work in the concept of web knocking. Would you care to tell us a little bit about that and some of the research you've been doing in that area? Certainly.
1: So, approximately five years ago, I picked up a copy of Linux Magazine, and it had an article on the novel concept of port knocking. Port knocking being a covert channel of communication whereby... A bit like Open Sesame, you send a particularly crafted TCP packet to a closed port, and as if of a miracle, all of a sudden the actual firewall changes its setup. And because of that specially crafted packet, you have managed to knock in a particular way, and the firewall opens up a particular service or sequence of ports. Reading about port knocking, I was fascinated with, okay, taking what we have on the TCP layer and abstracting it on the application layer. So, for that, I sat and developed a very basic web knocking tool, presented it in, uh, in a few conferences and venues, and it was received quite positively. So since then, we have been putting a team of researchers together to further that idea of web knocking, i.e. port knocking on the web application layer.
0: So this is very exciting. Can you explain to us more about web knocking and how a developer or a team building and deploying a web application can use it to you know, provide a more secure web application?
1: Certainly. So the concept of shielding your systems and services from the wider internet by means of port knocking has been around for a long time. What we try to do with web knocking is deliver something, a tool, a basic jar file that sits and listens at the logs of your web server. Your web server can be Apache, can be IIS, can be a, a plethora of different listening services as you've set up your network. What we do is set up a channel which is by no means bi-directional. And that channel allows you to submit a specially crafted URL that changes in terms of what's special in it every 60 seconds. And we'll spend a little bit more time on that and the setup of the respective protocol. And that particular sequence of characters that you send, that URL, is your knock. That knock corresponds to a predefined, a premeditated operating system command that has been mapped to execute if you specify the right passphrase. So, from a user's perspective, the most basic example of web knocking is that of having a single web server which has the SSH port, port 22, closed. So you have a website, you do an NMAP scan, and port 80 and 443 are the two ports that are open. Okay, with web knocking and the little tool that we've put together, you don't have to set up anything additional, no daemon service, nothing to further uh, have listening, no need for an apt-get update if you're on a Linux stack. And basically, you have the ability to, by sending specially crafted URLs, to open up the SSH board, something that was closed beforehand. And that's really the basis of what web knocking, how web knocking can be applied in today day-to-day life of administration.
0: So, Giannis, can you break down the different actors and components of the web knocking protocol? Let's dive a little deeper into this.
1: Yes, certainly, Jim. So you have really the user of a website, and that could be anyone. And they're anonymous, and they're using the website in an unauthenticated way with regards to the web knocking stack. In essence, somebody's browsing a specific website. Nothing new here then you have the user of the website who is also the user of webspa the little tool that we've put in place that allows us to do to execute knocks on that server and then finally you have the administrator of the website uh, who is also the administrator of this little knocking tool that we have so in essence you've got three actors One, who is the actual user of the website, like us all, and we use websites day in, day out. Then you have a user of the website that decides to send a specially crafted sequence, a knock, a web knock, that executes a particular command or or function on on the server. And then finally, you've got the administrator, who is the person that grants, authorizes different users to have access to different commands. So we've got those three main, main actors, those three main actors build the specific use case of Spa, The little web knocking tool that we've written. So how do we use this tool? Well, to start with, the administrator must interact with the spa user at least once in an out of band fashion. So Jim, if you were the administrator and I was the user, then once we would have to meet and you would have to give me the specific passphrase that's unique to me, and also the mapping of operating system commands, what I'm allowed to execute in essence, on the server that you're administering. I would take that information away and store it in a safe and secure place. Now, at the time of me, wanting to execute an operating system command on the web server that you administer and I don't have access to, I would craft a specially crafted URL using the client of WebSpa and send that URL to the web server. If my credentials were valid, so the passphrase that I had, was one that you had said to be valid in the system. And the operating system command that I wanted to execute was one of the premeditated commands, one of the 10 commands that you had allowed me to run on that server. Then, WebSpa, the little web knocking tool that we've written, would simply look at the logs, see that a specially crafted sequence has come through the wire, and would proceed to execute that command on the basis of me being the user that has the valid passphrase in question. So in essence you have the ability here to establish a covert channel of communication by means of not having another service or a particular setup and only requiring for the administrator of the website and the user of the website to meet once. What's more, and this is where it gets a little bit fascinating for for the team that's working on WebSpa, no other user of that website knows that that website is also being used in a setup that allows for commands, operating system commands, to execute on it. You can see what the potential is around this, Jim.
0: So Giannis, what are some of the different situations where this tool and methodology is most going to be useful for web application, uh, secure deployment and maintenance?
1: Good question. So, the YouTube video that we currently have published illustrates how with a web knock you can open up the SSH port on your web server. Let's go through the example in more detail. Most of us have a web server or a web application somewhere on the internet. I don't know about you, Jim, but I don't want any other port other than the web ports, 80 and 443, and ideally only 443 actually, to be open and listening on that particular server. So what happens about protecting the SSH port. I mean, ultimately, you want to connect securely to that web server and configure it accordingly, check it periodically, and so on and so forth. I feel very uncomfortable about having the SSH port open on the internet. I know that SSH is one of the most tried and tested protocols, but it remains an invitation to an attacker. So what can we do to limit access to that port? Well, with WebSpark, this little web knocking tool that we have, we can simply issue the operating system command behind a web knock to bounce, to bring up and down the SSH service. So going back to the prime example here, you have a web server. You don't want SSH to be listening to the internet and you only want it to be available in the instance of you needing to log in. You send a, particular, a particularly crafted knock request, and this knock request gives you the ability to now log in via SSH to your web server. Once you're done doing your business, as anyone administering the web server would do, you send another command, or in fact, just bring down the SSH service on command line after you log out. What's important is that in order for you to access another protocol, all you need to do is send a URL to a web server. That's the one scenario. There's a more interesting scenario and one that we haven't perfected yet, which relates to you having an administrative portal on your website. So imagine that you have a slash admin or a location on a web server whereby you don't necessarily want that location to be accessible 24-7 and to everyone. Okay, but how do we limit access to that? Well, again, you can either go about this in the form of introducing more services to protect access to that particular administrative interface of your website, or you can use something like WebSpa and use web knocking to your advantage. So, imagine that you have a website, the likes of Amazon or eBay, uh, a, a website that's receiving large volumes of data and user transactions. And this website has an administrative interface as the fallback in the event of things going wrong. Now, here we're talking about clusters, load balances, Fail hot and fail cold instances, and so on and so forth. We've moved on from the single instance of a website on a single server. On this website, you have the administrative interface, which is something that you browse to, um, and it's not something that's visible uh, or known to the wider public that's using your website. With web knocking, you can limit access to that particular location, i.e. if an administrator hasn't sent a web knock prior to attempting to access that interface, that interface will not respond. If, on the other hand, they've sent a particular interface, a particular web knock to that interface, then what comes back is a refresh on the page that shows you where to log in as an administrator. In summary, Jim, where to use Web Knocking involves open sesame scenarios. It's those open sesame scenarios that facilitate the need for a covert channel of communication to be established between what seems to be a normal user of the website and one that has elevated privileges in some form.
0: So Giannis, let's let's peel this onion back another layer. What's the crypto behind the URL being sent to the server and how the whole web knocking protocol works at the at the lower level?
1: We've based um, the web knocking protocol that we've designed on the principle of, on the cryptographic principle of hash commit. To refresh our memory, what hash commit is, if you and I have a secret and we don't want to share that secret, what we do is we take a hash value of that secret and share the hash value as proof that both of us share the same secret. Now, obviously, sharing that secret is susceptible to a man-in-the-middle attack, and in essence, we propose that web knocking is used in conjunction with the HTTPS protocol, so SSL with, with HTTP. Okay, what are now the specifics around hash commit that we use? in web knocking. So we have a request, and the request has a structure containing three things. One is the passphrase, the common shared secret between the administrator and the user, unique to each user. The second is the action, and that's a number, just a number from zero to nine, but each number maps to an operating system command. And finally, we have the time dependency of UTC time. Those are the three constituent parts that come as input and generate the output of our web knocking sequence. So the crypto behind uh, WebSpa is very basic in terms of supporting a basic hash commit crypto setup of of a crypto system. What we do is we take the passphrase and we use the format of the current time in UTC specified down to the current minute and generate a subpart of that knock sequence. We do a similar action with the setup of the remainder of the web knocking sequence and then we concatenate all that information together. Now, given that those three constituent parts involve something that changes over the period of time, you see that um, the setup of a WebNOC sequence is not susceptible to the traditional attacks that we know in the form of brute force and so on and so forth. What the protocol is susceptible to is time-based attacks. And we'll come on to that in a later part of the This podcast. So, the underlying crypto involves a shared secret that you and I have and no one else does, and a predefined list of numbers zero to nine that map to operating system commands. With that information, we execute a hash commit and derive for the current minute what the web knocking sequence is. In terms of the details used of the algorithms for the hash commit, we use the SHA-512 algorithm in a rotation of 1024. So we take something, we hash it using SHA-512, and we do that 1024 times. And then also we substring that set to make sure that we don't have a really long request. Now, what does a WebNock request look like? Well, it looks like 100 base64 URL-encoded characters. That's it. And it's a single request. Within that single request, you have 75 bytes. And within those 75 bytes, you have basically the hash commit of a substring involving the Uh, pass phrase that both the user and the administrator share and also the action, the number corresponding to an operating system command. I hope I haven't, (laughs) it's not mind-boggling describing crypto uh, on a podcast, Jim.
0: No, this is all about, this podcast is all about describing uh, crypto over audio. So this is perfect. I really appreciate you going deep with us. And if I may dare say, this is a really sexy mechanism of protecting your website. So where do we go next, Giannis? So what what else do we we need our listeners to know about to really understand the benefit of of this mechanism?
1: Well, like any system that uses crypto, like any crypto system, we have to look at its limitations. So under what conditions does it work and under what conditions does it break? We've spent a lot of time being honest with each other when building – uh, the, the underlying project and coming up with uh, Bruce Nye's, um attack tree for WebSpar, the little tool that we've built and the question that we've tried to answer is okay, if you have WebSpar set up on a server and you use it for web knocking activity day in, day out under what conditions are you susceptible to an attack and what is that attack? So I think the natural next place to go are the respective attack trees for WebSpa.
0: Charge on. Where does WebSpa work well? Where does it not work well? What are the, what are the limitations of it? I, I, I appreciate you going there with us on that topic. So go for it.
1: Okay. So uh, an attack tree is defined as a methodical technique of enumerating the what-if scenarios based on varying attacks under a common goal, to breach a system. So let's set the goal that I want to execute an operating system command on a web server that is owned and operated by you, on which we are running the web knocking tool that we've written, which is WebSpar. How do I go about doing that? Well, first of all, I can decrypt the uh, web knock message itself um, but there I'll have to confront uh, a rather robust SHA-512 uh, uh, hashing algorithm. Um, and there's 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 more to say there because we're doing concatenations, we're doing substring operations and so on. So there are valid attacks, but they would be attacks on the crypto. Second way would be to determine the passphrase or action uh, by other means. So being there when you give me the unique passphrase that I have uh, on that server. Uh, A third way would be to collude with the administrator about collecting the passphrases of um, other users on the system. And the the final way is, after getting legitimate access on the web server, actually browsing to the location where WebSpy is running and capturing the file footprint, which basically holds all the information for all the other users. So you can see that we've got three different ways that we can achieve the basic goal of executing an operating system command on a server that's running WebSpar. Let's dive into the detail of all those three. Well, okay, if you're able to do some Mathematical or otherwise cryptanalysis of the hashing algorithm that we use, how we substring it, and also how we concatenate the different hashing elements together. Well, it means that you've broken something much more fundamental uh, than what we, we are trying to protect. You've spent the money, time and resources with regards to figuring out what a specific hash sequence looks like but you haven't only just broken that you've done it in a way that you can predict the value for every minute because every minute the respective Webnox sequence changes why because well one of the inputs that we give is the current time in UTC that's a seed value and yes we know that what that value is yes we can predict that value but still it has the result of altering the output of the hash commit operation.
0: So can I Yannis, are you using the timestamp as kind of like a nonce here? Or is it sure. or deduplication purposes? What's the what's the purpose of using the that, that clock, system clock value in, in this part of the
1: crypto protocol? So the purpose of using the system clock value is in, in UTC is to make a crypto system that's not susceptible to the basic type of attacks. Attacks like brute force, attacks that involve you getting lucky with figuring out what a passphrase value is. We're basically trying to stop the listening aspect of the WebSpa server paying any attention to anything that hasn't been seeded with the respective current time.
0: It, is the fact that the the system clock is is predictable? Does that weaken the system at all? Is that something you want to use more of a, a random entropy, or is it is it acceptable on this protocol to use the system clock for this purpose?
1: Good question. So we think it's acceptable, and we presented the specification guide and respective crypto attacks of why it says it's is acceptable. And the basic reason why we believe it's acceptable is because you take the respective time in UTC and then you use a non-reversible hashing function to generate the web knock. So even though you might take the current timestamp involving the year 2013, it's very hard to go back to that value of 2013 if you... Only have the respective final hash value. Having said that, there are attacks, cryptanalytics attacks, but those attacks are much more sophisticated and go beyond the scope of this tool that we've we've written.
0: So, Yannis, we've we've gone through a pretty detailed journey here. Let us review where we're at. Give us one more summary of the uh, of what we've talked about so far and
1: where we're at. Certainly. So. We've covered the basic definition of what web knocking is, where it comes from as a concept, how it builds on the the, the concept of port knocking. We've looked at, very briefly, an implementation of web knocking, that being WebSpa, which has recently become an OWASP project, actually. We've also looked at how the underlying crypto works in the context of a the podcast, there's more detailed information online. And we've covered the basis of attacks in the form of an attack tree with the respective goal of being able to execute an operating system command on a web server. Now, where shall so we go next? Well... If we look at a little bit of the inspiration with regards to uh, where this idea came from and the constituent parts of what we used to build WebSpa, there there are three things that form what WebSpa is made out of. The first one is probably the most well-known port knocking tool, FWknop, and the concept of single packet authorization. So we've built a tool that allows you to execute an operating system command on the basis of sending a single request to a web server in the form of a URL. That concept we inspired to uh, set up in the form of a single URL by reading the FWNOP specification where a single packet would be responsible for a similar operation on the TCP layer. So that's the first thing. We got inspired by reading FWNOP and the concept of single packet authorization. Secondly, the the process of using the hash commit up operations and also the SHA-512 function well, we looked at the Spring Standard Password Encoder class and in that class looked at the operation of generating passwords according to Spring security. This is a well-known and reused library and it involves setting up and salting passwords in a certain way. And the way that we've implemented hash commit uses that library for that very reason. We wanted to use known techniques. Yes, there are attacks to the techniques that we've used. Yes, we're probably more susceptible to a hash-related, frequency-related attack. Why? Because we're using a substring. But overall, we are using standard implementations of crypto libraries and in the same setup that a well-known library, the Spring Standard Password Encoder class, is implemented. Finally... We looked at the RFCs, which are out there, and there is one RFC which relates to the implementation of OTPs, one-time passwords, fairly recent RFC, 6838. And this RFC uses the concept of setting up a time window for which your OTP, your one-time password, is valid for. So that's the third place that we sourced some inspiration involving making a protocol that basically varies over a period of time. Jim, in summary, that's the three areas of related work that we've used. I think they're all very well known in terms of industry places to look and be inspired in. One is the request for comments, RFC 6238. Second is the Spring Standard Password Class, a well-known library within the Java realm, And the third one is fw not the port knocking tool that uses single packet authorization.
0: Giannis, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a fascinating podcast. I appreciate the level of depth and rigor you brought today. Even though it's just a podcast, it's rare we have someone who's diving into cryptographic protocols at this level. Thank you again. And do you have any final thoughts before we finish up here today?
1: One final thought. It's a novel idea. We welcome people to spend time with web knocking. We see a vast interest in all venues that it has been presented. So please don't hesitate to shoot it down. And if you do find a valid attack, I'd be more than interested to know how you've performed it in order to help better this novel idea and progress it to the next level.
0: The Open Web Application Security Project is a 501 not-for-profit worldwide charitable organization focused on improving the security of application software. Our mission is to make application security visible so that people and organizations can make informed decisions about true application security risks. Everyone is free to participate in OWASP, and all of our materials are available under a free and open software license. Please consider becoming an OWASP member today. For more information, please visit www.owasp.org.